Support for this episode comes from Viator. Experiences are what people love the most about travel. That's why Viator has over 300,000 bookable experiences, so there's always something for everyone. They offer everything from simple tours to extreme adventures. Plus, Viator's travel experiences have millions of real traveler reviews, so you have the information you need to book the best activities for your trip. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. One app, over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator. Hey everyone, Ellie here, wishing you a happy, happy Friday. This is a very exciting week because on Wednesday, we released the first episode of Up Against the Mob, season two, The Springfield Crew. I cannot wait for you to hear this story. It is the wildest mob story that I was ever part of. Search for Up Against the Mob and follow us in your listening app so you can get each episode as it comes out in the coming weeks. New episodes will drop every Wednesday. In the meantime, here's this week's podcast. Whatever you might think of Donald Trump, you have to hand him this. He makes the most far-fetched law school hypotheticals come to life. This time, Trump's actions on and around January 6th have given us this doozy. Mike Pence, the former vice president, is seeking to quash a federal grand jury subpoena from special counsel Jack Smith by invoking the Constitution's delightfully obscure speech or debate clause. No prior vice president has ever made a comparable claim or perhaps even considered it, yet Pence actually could be on to something here. Today's featured constitutional provision certainly does need some introduction. The speech or debate clause holds prime real estate on our seminal parchment right there in Article 1, though you have to skim down to Section 6 to find it. It's heavy on the old-timey language, but the key phrase comes right at the end, quote, For any speech or debate in either house, they, meaning U.S. senators or representatives, shall not be questioned in any other place, end quote. In other words, members of Congress cannot be forced to testify by subpoena or otherwise outside of Congress itself, at least on certain topics, as we'll discuss in a moment. It's fundamentally a separation of powers device intended to insulate and elevate Congress. So we've got two pertinent questions as to Mike Pence. First, does he even count? The speech or debate clause specifies that it applies to, quote, senators and representatives, end quote. Pence's argument is that as vice president, he also served, pursuant to Article 1, Section 3 of the Constitution, as president of the Senate. Now, an eagle-eyed strict constructionist might respond that Pence was not technically a senator or a representative. On the other hand, the Supreme Court has construed the clause broadly to include not only elected officials, but also their staffers. If it can apply to a summer intern, the reasoning goes, then it should apply to the Senate president as well. Pence also might argue that as Senate president, he had the power to vote, just like any senator. This is why, for example, Democrats held the Senate majority during the first two years of the Biden administration. While the Senate was split 50-50, Vice President Kamala Harris held and at times cast that tie-breaking 101st vote. Pence, too, cast several tie-breaking Senate votes when he was VP. 
It's become a bit of a trendy sick burn, as the kids say, to note that Pence has claimed he was part of the executive branch as vice president when he previously invoked executive privilege, but now he claims he was part of the legislative branch as president of the Senate when it comes to speech or debate. But there's really nothing to this snappy Twitter quip. The answer, obviously, is that the Constitution specifically assigns to the vice president and only the vice president precisely such a dual role. This isn't fairly a, well, which one is it, Mike, scenario. He was both. If Pence does qualify, and I think the courts likely will conclude that he does, then we get into a trickier question. Are his communications protected? The clause does not apply to any and all testimony, but rather only to testimony about legislative activities. So, for example, if a senator happened to witness a mugging on the street, she could, of course, be subpoenaed as a witness. The testimony would have nothing to do with the work of Congress. Or more pertinent here, if a member of Congress is part of communications about illegal or other illicit activity outside of his legitimate legislative duties, then that, too, could be in play. To that point, Pence has claimed publicly that, quote, on the day of January 6th, I was acting as president of the Senate, presiding over a joint session described in the Constitution itself, end quote. Therefore, Pence seemingly will argue in court his conversations on and perhaps before that day related squarely to his legislative responsibilities. Prosecutors surely will counter that to the extent Trump or others pressured Pence to act illegally and to unilaterally throw out electoral votes that falls outside the scope of legitimate job functions and would not be protected. Prosecutors also might argue that even if Pence could otherwise seek refuge behind the speech or debate clause, he's waived its protections because he has written in his book about some of his relevant conversations with Trump. It's a common sense legal premise. If a person has the right to keep something secret, but then blabs about it in public, he has forfeited that right. Pence could respond that while ordinary common law and statutory privileges, like attorney-client privilege, for example, can be waived, this is a constitutional mandate sitting on a higher plane. But on the other hand, a person certainly can waive his constitutional rights in certain circumstances. There also could be some conversations that Pence did not write about for which he has not waived any constitutional protection. The recent case of Senator Lindsey Graham is instructive here. He invoked the speech or debate clause in response to a grand jury subpoena from the Fulton County District Attorney. In the end, Graham got a mixed result. The 11th Circuit Court of Appeals ruled that he could not dodge the subpoena altogether and that he had to testify, but only about those subjects that fell outside his legitimate legislative scope. So while some of Graham's testimony could be shielded by the speech or debate clause, the court noted pointedly that much of it about coordination with Trump's campaign or efforts to pressure local officials, for example, would not receive protection. Representative Scott Perry got a similar result when he invoked the speech or debate clause. A federal judge in D.C. ruled recently that the speech or debate clause did apply to some of Perry's communications, but only a small fraction of them, about 160 out of thousands. I suspect we will ultimately see a similar outcome for Pence. He likely won't defeat the special counsel's subpoena altogether, but he also will be able to invoke the speech or debate clause to avoid testifying about matters squarely within his duties as president of the Senate, including conversations about the scope of his constitutional authority or lack thereof, such as it is, to discard electoral votes. But anything that falls beyond those boundaries, discussions about criminal acts, for example, should be in play. The conundrum for special counsel Jack Smith is this. 
he likely can obtain much of the information he needs from lawmakers. But at what cost? Regular readers of this column are already well familiar with my views on Attorney General Merrick Garland's dereliction of duty by inaction. I argued back in May of 2022 that Garland already had taken too long and had squandered his best chance to indict and convict Trump. Now it's 10 months later and still, still, DOJ has not charged a single person in or near any position of official power. This is not Jack Smith's fault. He's only been special counsel for four months now, and by all indications, he has picked up the investigation's pace and aggressiveness. But if he wants to fight this battle with Pence or Perry or others, then those proceedings will take months. The cases will start in the federal district court and then go to the Court of Appeals for review. Then whoever loses there can ask the Supreme Court to intervene. Even in an expedited scenario, that process will take four months or so minimum, and likely more. Garland might have had enough time to wage these battles had he subpoenaed Pence and other high-level insiders back in, say, late 2021. There's zero reason he couldn't have done just that. It's not as if there was any mystery about the involvement of Pence and other well-positioned heavy hitters. Yet Merrick Garland failed, and now time is perilously short for Jack Smith. Thanks for listening. Stay safe and stay informed, everybody.